0: The following audio may contain coarse language and other material that may not be suitable for a younger audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Also, we may spoil anything and everything, so you have been warned. Welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast. My name is Jack Newman, and we're a bud and punch of lovable assholes. that will be talking about the hateful eight today. With me today is Ben. How are you doing, Ben? Doing well, Jack. Uh, and Sarah.
1: Hi, guys. Doing pretty good.
0: Sean. Hey, doing great. And, of course, Trevor being mopey in the corner. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So today we're going to do look at be looking at the Hateful 8 and between that we're going to do point counterpoint to start us off. And I think was on a positive note, we'll get Ben to go ahead and give us a start off his impressions of the Hateful 8.
2: Well, I guess I'll start positive by being negative in that I don't really love a lot of what Quentin Tarantino has done host Jackie Brown. I think the first 3 films he made were really really fascinating. Really unique, really interesting, but I think as he becomes more of a genre filmmaker, it gets a lot more shallow and sort of like he's letting history be changed by him in a lot of ways. But what I like about Hateful Eight is it's mean, it's really, really mean and vicious and cruel. And because of that, it honestly feels a lot more honest to me. It feels like it's a film that returns back to his roots of real dialogue driven, he's not making these extended sequences that go on far too long. I think everything is really toned back. It's really suspenseful. And I just think it's Tarantino back to what he does best, which is suspense, characters, and telling a compelling story instead of letting the genre sort of dictate the action.
0: That's an interesting point. I'm going to go ahead and steal the counterpoint here from Trevor because I have to grab that onto that. So you I understand that you're saying that it's more a return to like some of the classical styles of Tarantino, but at the same time you don't like you're not going to tell me right here that we're talking like res like a return to Reservoir Dogs because it essentially is Reservoir Dogs. Again, spoilers ahead. Like it's to some extent a recreation of Reservoir Dogs in a more cemented old western fashion with a much more political bent to it. But you can't tell me that it has the same level of like suspense and and kind of the recreation of the character montages that were that were so wonderful in Reservoir Dogs that kept us hooked.
2: I think there actually is. I think there really is. I think the biggest issue which we'll get into is the reveal. I think it's uh, far less smart than it thinks it is and it falls apart towards the end, I'm not going to lie there. Uh, but I think it uh, sucks. Uh, I think it is that level of suspense and character and drawing in the well that they think he's not been to in a long time. So, I don't know if it's Reservoir Dogs level good, but, I mean, it's definitely a much better return to form than the last two, I think.
0: I th- okay, so let me go ahead and, like, formalize the counterpoint to this. I think Hateful Eight is is a good movie, and I'm not going to, I don't think anyone here is going to get up and be like, oh, man, like, you know, we're comparing it to, like, we need, we, I mean, like, when I say it's bad, I'm, I want it to be understood, like, the levels of bad that I'm talking about, I'm not calling it a terrible movie. I'm calling it a a a good movie, but bad within the Tarantino existing canon. At the same time, but at the same time, I want to kind of defend, kind of to some extent, maybe Tarantino's earlier, like later works, to some extent, like Inglorious Bastards and most recently Django. Because I did the very odd thing of watching Django immediately after I went to Hateful Eight. I actually watched it with Sean after we went and saw the Hateful Eight. And I have to admit, I immediately began enjoying Django far more than i did the hateful eight and i think that's i think it's telling in terms of the 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 stylistic and the nature of the films is that one is kind of like this overbound epic and has like a a, the hateful eight has like it's it's in love with itself to some extent and i think that's something that well yeah i mean it's it's you know it's it's obviously he's he's reimagining the forms of the epics and and they're not exactly like as palatable as it is like i think a lot of the the styles that have like arisen and the styles that have gone away is kind of like it's like a kind of a judgment on like whether or not they are good or bad is is a different day's discussion but at the same time like like in terms of looking at his later and earlier movies there's no doubt in my mind that whether or not hateful eight has a good point or an internally good point it is not nearly as enjoyable or as suspenseful to some extent as django given that django also has a pretty piss poor ending um but again, I think they both. <laughs> I do think that Tarantino, since uh, *Inglorious Bastards*, is having a hard time figuring out how to end movies, and I think that, I think it's representative here in that he doesn't particularly know how to end it, and that, essentially, once the ball drops on the movie, it's uh, it's not a great twist, and it doesn't really. And that's the thing is this movie's building to that existing twist, and it just doesn't have the same power or structure of *Reservoir Dogs*. And at the same time, once the ball drops, it's just kind of a snooze fest. And he does. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he doesn't make a, philosoph- a good philosophical point internally within the movie, but whether or not it is uh, well executed, I think is, is clear that it's not.
3: <laughs> I wouldn't mind jumping back in there if um, if you don't mind me stealing the counterpoint back. We should probably stop telling each other if we're gonna jump back. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> Just jump back in. <laughs> well, um, when you compare it to Django Unchained, that was the last Quentin Tarantino movie I saw, and I actually thought it was kind of a step up from Django because. For me, at least, it was like, it wasn't the pure revenge violence of, like, Django and killing Hitler in Glorious Bastards as much as it was all about the shadow of the Civil War and all the tension that was still around. And it was, for me, I might have read more into it than there was, but it was kind of like talking about violence as not as glorious as it seemed. Like, that was the whole point of that letter from Abraham Lincoln for me in the end because it sounded so fake when he's like congratulating him for his service and and battle and everything after the sadistic spectacle that just gets i think there is
2: there is something to the reconstruction era western that is deeply deeply cynical and cruel which i think is capturing that and reminds me a lot of something like outlaw josie wales which is also a reconstruction era Mm -hmm. western and also kind of goes to the sense of that real sense of menace about that we've destroyed our country and how are we ever going to bring it back up again if we all hate each other and we're all hateful, angry people who don't know how to move past the fact that the war is over and still living in the past. And I think that's what the film does very, very interestingly, at least again in the first half, where most most interestingly. And I also will defend a scene which I'm curious where other people stand on, uh, the flashbacks um, sequence, which I know a lot of people hate. I actually really really enjoyed that one because I think it was going back to something Tarantino loves which is the art of acting and the art of storytelling and the way story can be used for good or for evil to manipulate a situation or to be something interesting and again I think it's a little bit unfortunate that four of the main guys end up being the bad guys and that's (laughs) about it so there really is only two sides.
3: (laughs) Are you talking about that sequence where Samuel L. Jackson is talking about how he tortured the not the, uh... not the no, yeah, no. not the molestation sequence, the, the sequence whole flashback chapter Yeah, where uh, they where, where they kill everybody Kate, and Kate then recreate the everything. And
0: I, I and I agree with you, Ben. I think that at that's at the point where it kinda of falls apart and I enjoyed the flashback. I really enjoy this movie. I enjoy the first part of it. I enjoy the carriage ride. I enjoy the ride up to Mooney's abedazzery. I enjoy the tension. I think it's all there. It's a recreation of Reservoir
4: Dogs that just doesn't stick the land. So in.
0: I think that it has. Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Goes. So just kind of. I mean, I
4: think it's difficult to like compare. Going back to like the discussion of Django Unchained versus The Hateful Eight. You know, even though they are both like kind of Civil War era westerns, they're fundamentally different Fair. films because like. If you look at just like the scale of Django Unchained, like you know, you've got this whole world. They're traveling. They're going to all these different locations. Um, it's more of like a broad story than is The Hateful Eight, which is essentially just filmed in two locations. You know, you've got the carriage ride, and then you've got Minnie's haberdashery. So it's a much more self-contained story than is uh, than is Django. But you know, I think there are. I think as, you know, Django's a more enjoyable film because it is a lot more, you know, it is this broad kind of narrative story. But I think there are, like, individual elements of The Hateful Eight that are superior to Django. I thought the cinematography, you know, just these, like, giant spectacles uh, of, you know, Wy- the Wyoming countryside and the blizzard kind of, you know, chasing the carriage were both beautiful. I thought the dialogue was, was better than Django. I thought it was a funnier film than in fact, one of his funniest films. Um, the characters were great he did great character development. Um, so individually like if you kind of pick it apart that way I think there are really strong elements of the film but I don't know if I found the entire story you know as entertaining as Django but I still thought it was a you know it was a really good ride.
0: I want to stop here for just a second because it's impossible to separate out this movie without talking initially about the road show and the presentation that you saw because again tarantino is attempting to recreate the road show as well as using 70 millimeter this it's it's unheard of in these kind of films so i wanted to actually just go down the list real fast and see what you guys saw it in. ben what'd you see it in
2: i saw it in the 70 millimeter road show like uh, everybody
1: I think I saw it on 70 millimeter, but I also watched it on my computer, so gotcha, that gotcha. made a difference.
0: Well, I have to cut
1: that out. I'm not. Really I know, I know, that. but you knew that.
0: Please. Yeah, we knew that. But like, did you? Was there an intermission? No. Okay. Okay. Cool, Sean. 70 millimeter. You saw it with me. I don't know why the fuck I saw <laughs> it. We both, me and Sean, both saw it together in 70 millimeter. Trevor, I just saw it regular. Man, gotcha, gotcha. So, again, I, I mean, again, even though the the new aspect ratio pr- applies to the regular movie, I have to ask, in terms of your perspective, h- did anyone see both at the same time, besides
4: me? No.
0: Yeah. So, again, I think the film the film conversion and the use of it, and I have to admit, I really enjoyed the, the use of an intermission in that. But I think that in terms of, like, for me, like, this thing has gotten, uh, is, is up for a cinematography award, and I'm not necessarily sure... It deserves it. I love the film and I love like a filmmaker that has the bravery to sit on like like a like a thirty five second forest snow shot that's absolutely gorgeous. I just don't think the actual I don't know, like for me it's the power of the camera and the lenses being used. And yes, he was absolutely brave to use this ancient technology and to go to Panavision and to get it, but it is is that deserving of a reward in and out of itself. Do you guys... Because again, I think this, is, this comment is back to whether or not the cinematography of the film is good because it's essentially a stage play to some extent and it's using very long shots and it's using a very established stage set. I'm not sure it deserves it. I mean uh there's uh, there's a couple of shots in there that I, I can't I can't like say is bad cinematography. I mean none of it's bad cinematography. But essentially like the earlier shots especially at the end when he's doing like a giant rack photo rack focus and using old film techniques to get them both into perspective of Samuel L. Jackson on the bed and I think oh my god who's uh who's Mannix this character who's Mannix this actor? Um, help me here guys. Uh,
4: Which character? Well the the uh, Mannix
0: is a character. Yeah, yeah I can't think of his What's name his at name? the moment. Yeah, I can't think of his name. Um, the name. We, um,
4: he's an old, he's... He was, he did a wonderful movie. job, yeah.
0: He did, a, he did a, all of them did a wonderful job. The point I'm making is that do you guys kind of consistently think that this was a, was a beautiful movie? I think it was well edited, but I don't necessarily know that it, it had like the most gorgeous cinematography, especially from this first set on. It I had, agree and, with
2: Walton you. Goggins, right. Walton oh, Goggins. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should remember the character name. I Jesus. love Walton Goggins from he's Justified. He's amazing.
0: No, he's in, he's in some great stuff. And he usually plays terrible roles. <laughs> yes.
4: Well, let me, let me, he's a good weasel. I'll, I'll, I'll do a counterpoint to your cinematography argument. Cause I actually thought it was some of his better cinema, cinematography. And I don't think it was just the fact that, you know, it was shot on 70 millimeter. I thought he also made really good use of, of the medium as well. Like, you know, some of those initial shots on the carriage where, oh, yeah, They're gorgeous. where you've got Walton Goggins there, like the first time he runs up and you've got uh, Kurt Russell mm-hmm. and you can pan and you can see the whole scene is beautiful um, the scene where they're going into the uh, into the barn at uh, at Minnie's Haberdashery, and the, you know, you kind of it's a shot within a shot. almost, where you know you can see them coming mm-hmm. in. Is well done. Like the shot with uh, Samuel Jackson and uh, uh, the Mexican, kind of you know, and, you know they're having the conversation. You can see like the uh, you know just how freaking cold it is outside. Like I thought it did a wonderful job of kind of capturing just like you know how damn cold it yeah. was and why they had to make this I stop. Think it's, like... uh... <laughs> it's kind of interesting
2: that we have uh, two 70mm movies in a row, The Master and then now this, both of which uh, I felt like people were distressed that a lot of it was done in like close-up or done in sort of limited areas. And so I think people sometimes view that the 70mm isn't as good because there's not enough I don't know, landscapes or <laughs> sweeping shots. And one thing I thought was very interesting about this film is that they used the aspect ratio in a way I've never really seen before that I can remember which is using uh, the aspect ratio to show uh, claustrophobia which is room, very interesting yeah. where it's like yeah. even in the uh, uh, cabin the frame it's so, so wide, it's wide that you can see exactly you can see every single yeah. player at every single corner of the room which I think is very very interesting which is having characters so far apart that it Especially uh, for the poisoning
0: scene, if you Mm -hmm. go back for a second viewing, you can clearly see him, like, right back there, fiddling. It's It's a great shot. That's excellent. I wish they had a...
2: One minor quibble I have to bring up real quick is that I hate, 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 hate that they pointed out that the coffee was poisoned. I really think it would have been much more interesting, like you said. They have it happen in the background, and maybe you noticed it the first time or not, but have just... um, The two characters vomit blood because it's such a great, awesome moment of surprise. And I think it's completely ruined by leaving It's poison. And then five seconds later, okay, they
0: died. And the Tarantino middle intermission monologue was really stupid, too yeah like it's it, it just shows a lack of faith in the audience and i'm sorry like if i go into a tarantino movie like i want to be i don't want, not necessarily i want to be considered smart but i don't want things necessarily spelled out for me and i think that, that it, it definitely showed a lack it, him reaching to a broader audience in terms of or at least his lack of faith in that set audience um but circling back around to what we were talking about in the cinematography and especially the master i think the master is a far superior superiorly shot 70 yes, millimeter film definitely. and i think it makes a better use of that aspect ratio more of a traditional sense in that things and i think the thing too is like the reason i'm so negative on it is because part of me just loves 70 millimeter and i love that aspect ratio far superior to like our existing uh well, i forget it's like 230 um like one eighty like, to yeah yeah like classical hollywood but like the the issue is is that the it's like the cinema scope aspect ratio gives like these things and he uses it to do those big sweep beam shots but i just don't necessarily know that it's rewarding it's it's like a signature of a reward more so that he's like emulating kind of the look and style of it i mean obviously this is his first film that i know that he shot up in this or that anyone shot in forever in this i guess we got 70 millimeter for the master but uh, at the same time like you know the that classical shot of, like, Joaquin Phoenix up on the on the battleship looking straight down and having people throwing stuff up at him. I just think that that's such a more interesting use of a wide medium to give a perspective than, than the claustrophobia. And I don't think that... I think the claustrophobia is cool, but I wanted a deeper focus. And yeah. that's the thing, is they racked focus... And did it to like keep people in the frame and keep your focus things and that's the point is like i didn't want like if if it had been very very deep focus use of the wide angle lens to the point that i could recognize people more easily in the background i probably wouldn't been, would have been more accepting i think of ben's interpretation of the film and not th- i think that's exactly where they were going i just wanted like a deep focus like orson welles style like oh my god i can see bob the mexican back there just kind of fiddling with the chicken or something i don't know like, That'd be my interpretation. But, I mean, that's criticism at the same time. It definitely deserves its
4: nomination for cinematography. Anyone kind of disagree with that? Oh, it absolutely. Does. I know, I agree with that completely.
2: Yeah, yeah all five of those nominees, I think I'd love to see win. I've seen all five of them. are really, really gorgeous. Specifically with used... cinematography. Yeah. It's very interesting because one's 16mm, one's 70mm, one's on this brand new RA-65 camera. It's like a very unique field this year because you have all these different formats. Writing against each other
4: in a unique way. So, so, if I could do a quick counterpoint to the to the point uh, Ben was making on the on the narration there after the intermission, um, I actually thought it was pretty funny. Um, kind of like you know you come back into your seats and you're you know you're waiting for the for the movie to come back on, and then you know it starts with Quentin Tarantino kind of cracking a joke. It's like oh well, maybe it was a self defense claim. Like they're debating the legitimacy of it. And I think you actually needed to have like Tarantino say that the the coffee was poisoned because it you're building up so much tension when uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is like playing or you know she's playing the guitar and you know folks are walking back to the coffee mug and you know and Kurt Russell like walks up and he's got the cup of coffee i think it built the tension uh, beautifully and it would have been weird to me if like you know they so you know Kurt Russell just drinks the coffee and starts like vomiting randomly i i would you know i would obviously gather that it was poison but it would struck me as kind of strange but I thought the, the the use of that as, as building tension there was a really great way to start the uh, the second half of the film.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's it's difficult for me, I guess, to some extent, to accept some of the stuff about that, but at the same time, like i want to i want to call for a smarter audience but i have no i have no doubt that tarantino was looking at that, that the the feel of that edited in montage uh, that edited in spike means that he watched that movie probably like half a dozen times and was just like something needs to be here to help and he probably test screened it and then added it in after that, specifically at the intermission um i i i forget like the intermission it was in both versions correct no, because it's, like, cause no. it's uh,
2: the other version had no intermission, and that's why it's kind of exactly. awkward because it cuts. So then, from then there was no right Tarantino
0: little like little monologue about that. So no, there Sarah, was actually. There, there was. was that's it what was just... weird.
2: Yeah, so it's like it goes from that cl- clip. It, it cuts to the next one. It goes when we last left off, and a lot of people pointed out how awkward it was hmm. because they should have probably just Sarah, cut how, that.
1: How
0: did you feel about it?
1: About that little um, talking about the poison. Yeah. I am. I mean, I, I agree with Sean. I mean, I don't know how necessary it was per se, but I thought it was kind of funny just in, in his delivery of it. And um, I kind of appreciated it. It kind of made turned it into a bit more of like a, a murder mystery, or at least an impen- impending murder mystery, because I don't think anyone had died yet, really. But I don't know. It was one of the slightly more lighthearted moments in the film that a film which doesn't have all that many of those yeah
0: I think I think too he was trying to lighten lighten the film I mean I can't say for for certain to some extent but I think I think that that is kind of the point where people start to lose it a little bit because I think I think because what I'm hearing here is that and I think we're in kind of total agreement and looking across the board here is that everyone enjoys the first half of this movie
2: yeah, yeah pretty much I think it's uh, it's a hard thing to know like whether you it's marketing or the actual film itself. I had this issue with a movie called Phoenix this year, which is a fantastic movie. I recommend it, everyone see it. And uh, all the posters said, Hitchcockian, Hitchcockian, Hitchcockian. And I watched it, and it was nothing like Hitchcock in that, <laughs> except it was, word for word, a Vertigo movie remake, <laughs> in a sense. But it had none of those Hitchcock themes. It was very much its own film. And because of that, I was watching it going, like, this isn't Hitchcockian, what are you talking about? And then I watched it again later, and I was like, oh, I missed a fabulous <laughs> film because I was... Stuck in this marketing mindset. And so I think we heard Agatha Christie all over the place for the marketing. And so it's mm-hmm. hard for me to determine is it just that I wanted more of an Agatha Christie thing if this person's playing this person, playing this person? Or is it I actually am disappointed that it all ended up being just two sides? And I do think I, the more I think about it, the more I think it is just that. It's not so much marketing. that I really did want to see, you know, I think the idea that especially um, Michael Madsen being an actual mama's boy that would be so funny to me or yeah
0: i think because they, they do se- i think that's what bothers me is because the film does seem to be setting that up and then just doesn't complete on them especially with like the specifics and how long it has especially like how long it has um like what's the character um like uh like the the hangman how long it has or i can't remember his name today um sorry i just watched deadpool it's making my brain <laughs> <cry>. <laughs> those I mean, memes but, like, those dank Neeson memes up in your head um, it's Liam Neeson jokes all over the place um, but <laughs> there were a lot going minutes, back <laughs> easy target <laughs> the uh, the point is just like going back to like the beginning like he the hangman talks for so long. And you're just looking, and the problem is I, I approached that movie watching every sentence that dialogue because I was sure Tarantino's a good writer, this is a mystery, I'm sure that there's going to be something in here that's going to give them somebody away. And I'm I'm observing all the characters, and then all of them were at the end, and I felt really cheated. And I think that's the thing. is, like, I think I went into it with the wrong mindset, and I think it's been presented as the wrong mindset. And to some extent, like, does anyone think that's the fault of the movie in and of itself? Because I think the movie is presenting it. Itself like that, and then just doesn't deliver. I
4: completely agree with that. Um, so just going back to the first point, I thought the first half of the film was significantly better than the second half. And uh, I remember when, when we watched it together, I um, you know you had seen it be- once before, and you know it was my first viewing. And I, I mentioned to you after we got out for the intermission that you know I loved the first half so much that I thought it had the potential to be one of Quentin Tarantino's best films. And then I was really let down. I, remember. <laughs> I was really let down by how it finished.
0: <laughs> Do you remember my Because <laughs> I, I said it there. I, I like I like you. I was like, okay, uh, you're good. I think I like Django better. And you were like, uh uh-huh.
4: <laughs> and, and so I so I I watched the movie again uh, in here in Austin uh, with, with our friend Will. Mm. And he's told me the same thing. Uh, you know, when we hit the intermission, he was like loving it. And then it just complete. You know, it gets so yeah. dark so fast because no one dies in that first half of the film. You know, it's you you're you're enjoying the dialogue, no, versus, well. You're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. You're enjoying the cinematography, and uh, then we come back and it just like it escalates really really fast. Um, and it's it's kind yeah. of awkward. Um, but yeah,
2: yeah, especially since uh, so much of it's leading up to just Bruce Dern dying, and then that's a the big moment, and you think like it's going to be like that slight picking off you your right way. and then it's just like yeah. blood bombing, oh yeah explosions shooting you know it gets crazy and like and
4: it, and just Poor just quickly to, to point out i i think that um yeah, jack what you were saying is, is is right on about the fact that you know i you kind of felt cheated that so many people were in on it, like literally everyone in the frickin' haberdashery, other than the Confederate yeah, child. I'm
0: looking. I'm looking for some because I. I think that's the thing is I was paying such close attention to the dialogue, and I realized really this is more of a the whole point of this movie is more of like a theoretical work because each of them like they're talking and it's important, but it's important because it's it's extending an existing metaphor about the whole thing. And this work is way more metaphorical than it is actually like a good movie in terms of that. And I think that's that's Tarantino now is like he's moved past trying to deliver a fun kind of movie going experience and moved into like his movies being truly metaphorical and I think that delivers sometimes when you know when you like are writing a fucking research paper about it like I fucking after like it's funny when I understood like the full extent of like Glorious Bastards And it kind of came up With my own thought process Like I didn't like that movie When I first saw it Now it's one of my favorites And I think that's because Like I have a, like A really theory As to what it I know Don't give me that Fucking face um, <laughs> Like I have a theory As to why What he does And like his use Of the audience At the end of the film to represent the audience enjoying the violence in the movie, you are the audience enjoying *The Glorious Bastards*, enjoying the violence of *The Bastards*. And at the same time, he has the Nazi audience at the end enjoying the violence of like this dude just murdering people with like a sniper rifle. Frederick Zolt, oh whatever, fucking, I can't. <laughs>
3: I don't remember any names <laughs> today, but the point is, it's like
0: always, yeah. it's just representing itself, and then he burns the audience in the theater and says, you know, maybe you shouldn't enjoy. But there's like a whole counterpoint in there, and like once you understand it, I think that's good, and I think this movie is probably the same way. I haven't developed a theory about it, but I think that's the point is like, but then judging it as the quality of the movie, like it it it, it rises in quality when I understand it, but me not understanding it initially. Does that mean that at this moment, like, I can't give it a good score in terms of, like, A, not understanding it, A, being, like, misinterpreted, going in and the movie setting up a different interpretation upon the first viewing that then is totally destroyed? Is that my fault or the movie's?
3: Yeah, can we try to do that, though, like, make a theory real quick? Because, I mean, part of what I need to understand better is how it works with the genre conventions, like, the techniques used to film it and what's that what that's supposedly doing. Because, I mean, there's that and then it's a mystery and everybody's story is fringed with doubt, like... I don't know what do you guys think if um samuel L. jackson's story about torturing the the son of the <laughs> the general that was true or not for instance i think i think it doesn't matter whether or not it's true or not okay well maybe that's something because I then i mean like I, the climax of the movie is them deciding whether or not to believe um whether um, the last of the gang members are all in that room right
0: well it doesn't matter they'd bleed to death <laughs> yeah. yeah right <laughs> like, it really doesn't fucking matter maybe that's the point <laughs> It was really bleak. I mean, I I didn't mind the bleakness of the ending. I just felt it felt awkward. It felt like the ending of Django where he like leaves the place. They have the climactic shootout. He leaves, comes back, shoots everyone. and then the again. It's the same sort of awkward bullshit. And I just think that like maybe he's making a point in there and like structuring it for like a really good structural point. But at the same time, it just feels awkward when you watch it as a film. And that's the difference is like getting into a deep analysis. Do you enjoy it? And I enjoyed Tarantino's on a deep analysis level, but I didn't enjoy it on a viewing level. So does that make it a good film or not? I don't know. Well, it was like because I don't know yeah. what
3: it means. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, for me, the, the thing that tied it person. all together was that letter.
0: <laughs> what uh, the letter? The yeah. Letter. Well,
4: yeah.
2: Well, I think so, it's uh, so much of the film is about narrative and the way narrative leads to horrific consequences, and again, sort of the idea of like the American ideal was reconsidered post Civil War, and the idea of what is America and what yeah, is could an you, American
3: clash between Mm. narratives like the war itself is a clash between narratives and neither are fair I think so
2: because so much is like about the Lincoln letter and about that they're all (laughs) faking they have all these fake stories and uh, you know his story about um, raping the guy is that fake or is that not you know and there's sort of this sense that a lot of it is built on stories that can't be proven and that gives him something you know he mentions that he gets what he wants when he tells people about the Lincoln letter because it makes them respect him even though it's not true, versus, right. you could obviously be telling the same thing for this guy, because he just wants an excuse to kill him, so it could make sense that he did it, or he didn't do it, because he seems like that kind of person. So, mm-hmm. so there like, is a sense of, like, narrative-driving action.
3: Yeah. So, it's like, instead of deciding to rewrite history a little bit, like he did with Bastards or Django, he decided to, like, show how unreliable history is. In a sense, yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, I, I don't think I mean, like we're we giving, giving him like, too much credit for over him blowing off hitler's face i mean i'm not gonna lie that scene is ridiculous yeah when he's like machine gunning <laughs> hitler's face well it's hard to tell with ridiculous. uh it's hard to but, tell
2: with tarantino because so much of his answers to
3: things it's cool it's just cool, yeah. you know. And it's, so it's like that it uh,
0: happens. That and, happens in these films. Like that's yeah. the thing is like there's there's a there's a really great film genius under there, and then every once in a while there's just like, but then he machine guns Hitler's face off, and you're like, he thought that shit was cool. Yeah. Huh? Like that's what yeah. that's why that happens. Right, and, <laughs> and it's the
2: thing with like Reservoir Dogs is like, is is the whole thing with Tim Roth being the one who lives through at the end a really interesting fatalistic sort of idea of like the person who is the actual cop manages to survive till the end, or is it? Just it's cool. And it's cool to have people shoot people after a long time. See, but I I do think...
0: I I disagree, Ben. I think we can tell the difference between Tarantino bits, and I think that we look
3: at the... He's a a
2: really smart guy, and I don't think he does not mean it, but I think there is something to the fact that a lot of times he is driven by something that seems really interesting, and maybe that always doesn't work. And I think that's partially the problem with his later films. Oh my god! Included. There's so Ooh. much
0: of his filmography that doesn't work. I mean, I'll give you *Inglorious Bastards*. Like I've come up with a theory as to why I like it. I don't think the movie works at all. I think it has some of the best scenes in like movie history. Man, it took me five times
2: scene. of watching *Inglorious Bastards* to not like it. So it's or not or not like it as much or find oh, issues wow. with
0: it. So because I, I I had a different experience, I liked it more and it's funny I liked it more as I talked with people about I it I agree with
4: that I still don't think it's it is top I, four
0: I did not like <laughs> it at all in the first viewing I was like this makes no sense and then I talked with people about it I worked through it and I think that I'm wondering if that'll happen with Hey Play I can't tell at this point I'm obviously talking to you guys about it but I haven't heard any overarching theories about its existing I understand your use of the American Dream but I don't really think it has to I think it's very political in that terms and I think it definitely circles back around to kind of the existing political issues going on he obviously he obviously wrote this script before a lot of the existing political issues in the United States happened and he admitted to adding in a lot of things and retooling things ex- adding the existing Lincoln Letter at the end because you can go back and read the original script mm. that leaked online and the Lincoln Letter was in the original film but wasn't the climax at the end oh, as well okay. it wasn't brought up again so you obviously changed some. Things Things to reflect existing issues. Why are you burning stuff? <laughs> the fuck, guys! I'll stop it. The fuck is happening Ben's over just, there? Ben's
3: just sitting in his own flatulence <laughs> and trying to deal with it. Yeah. So I, I thought I'm just trying
2: to burn my apartment down. It's not working though.
4: I thought that the most, you know, it, it was one of his more intentional films in terms of like the political message that he was trying to get across. It was almost, yeah, almost a little too kind of on the nose. Because uh, if you look at like some of the lines of dialogue, like you know, black people only feel safe when white people are disarmed and, and vice versa.
0: Yeah. You
4: know, it. He's certainly kind of channeling the the Black Lives Matter. You know, there's certainly there were cer- certainly undertones mm-hmm. there, and I thought mm-hmm. that was Absolutely present yeah. in this film, even even more so than in, in films like Django. Um, and I'll actually I'll have to talk about this a little bit later, but it was interesting. Uh, you know, kind of. The difference between watching it in Durham, North Carolina, versus in, in Austin, I thought you know the audience members had had far <laughs> different reactions and found things far different. You know, <laughs> you want to explain that out loud, Sean? <laughs> um, so come on, Sean. C- certainly, in in North Carolina, Jack, I think our our audience was was at least like half African American, and uh, yeah, right.
0: absolutely. It's. Durham is predominantly is predominantly African American, so I think that you, we did have a much different audience reaction. I, I think there was a, there was a lot more uh, shouting when some black dicks were being sucked. I, mean, I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean that I do think it was an interesting reaction. I do think it hits with a different audience than us. Yeah, uh, and then in Austin, I like think you that, had a
4: lot of people laughing at uh, like some of Walton Goggins' jokes. <laughs> Uh, so it was just like I, it was for me I was
0: like uncomfortable <laughs> it's like whoa I would yeah yeah it was a lot of them were really fucking yeah. uncomfortable and I think that that's that's like you have a different audience reaction and a different taking things. Like it was interesting I think some things come across the different audiences as funny and some things are just not funny and deeply uncomfortable so I think that's well
2: since we're talking about this I'm curious Sarah where you stand on a lot of the um, uh, female violence in the movie it's been sort of a thing a lot of people have talked about whether or not Portraying it as comedic is right or not, or if... uh, Was it
0: portrayed as comedic?
2: Absolutely. I heard a lot of people laughing, Uh, and whether or not they were supposed to or not, I think, is obviously a question. I don't know if he's like...
0: I mean, it might be, again... Okay, But a lot of people
2: in both screens I went to laughed when she got hit in the face the first time.
0: I think you're supposed to laugh. I don't
2: think you are. I think you're supposed to think that...
0: No, you, I think you're supposed to laugh and then terrible. feel bad about it. I think that's yeah. what's supposed to happen. I do think he's getting a laugh and then, like, being like, fuck you and your testicles. Like, <laughs> but I asked Sarah questions. Funny, like, shut up, a Jack. Ah. Shut, all right, I'm shutting up. Shut up. <laughs> Sarah, go.
1: I am. I don't really know. I mean, I think I was watching it in terms of it, I don't know, I guess being a period piece. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but. You know, this is how a woman, especially a woman who was wanted for murder, would have been treated in Wyoming in the 1800s. So I didn't see it, you know, particularly as like bad. I mean, obviously, you know, nobody I mean, I don't ever see want to see violence, really, which might color how I rate this movie at the end. (laughs) But um, it wasn't anything that I was really surprised by. Or you know, found super offensive. So, do
0: you think he's a right?
2: And I think there's, I think he's more just hates all people in this, or all people are mean and evil and hateful. I think that's why. I think it's more interesting than versus it's just them hating a woman. You know what I mean? I think it is more. I think, the... but I don't think they gave enough of a reason of why she was such a terrible person. But I agree with that. I think it's accurate. I think it's accurate
0: that a woman would take more flack in this time period when everyone's hateful. Absolutely. I think I think you go after the like not the lowest common denominator but the person that might be like in terms of like in the least social positioning and i mm-hmm. think that's what happens here and i think that she gets mm-hmm. the abuse of it and i think the tarantino is doing that on purpose i, but think I wish i wish she had more Sorry,
1: I, I i do think that it's interesting that um i don't know that everyone seemed to respect samuel jackson's character more than they respected her just in, in terms of social commentary of that era, I mean, yes, he was, you know, a general, but at the same time, these are a bunch of white guys, you know, recently out of the Civil War, and yet mm-hmm. they're going to give more respect to Samuel L. Jackson than well, I don't right. know. I'm I'm saying I would, wrong. I would then. say that
0: Kurt Russell does. I would say that specific characters do, and yeah. I think that's the yeah. issue is that Kurt Russell is the. Is the uh, is the core of that group, and he like his, it's like he controls the situation in sh- such a way that like he defines what her role in the group is, and he's also like ninety nine percent of the abuse comes out of him. Yes, like, let's be honest. Like mm-hmm. even in the latter part of the movie, he never like like all Samuel Samuel Jackson doesn't even strike her really at the end. Like he Probably like he shoots shoots, her. The, shoots the corpse and. T- I mean, he shoots, I mean, obviously he fucking, like, they fucking shoot well, her Well, she gets the end, hung, but, like, but, he, but they the shoot her in the
4: leg, you know, it's yeah. just kind of a laugh. But
0: there's not, like, there's not, like, the same humorous level of violence once the blood's all over her, because I think that's a, that's an important purpose, is, like, we're seeing her for herself or something along those lines in terms of, like, once she gets the blood on her face, no one hits her for a laugh anymore. Like, she's an object of terror at that point.
4: So, I, I think it's interesting. I don't think that they... I think the reason that... So just to done. kind of go off of the, the... You know, the reason that we have all this violence at the beginning uh, is is to show that, you know, this is not, like, a typical woman. You know, it's kind of taking away her, feminine, her, her femininity because it's, it's, it's showing that, obviously, she's done, like, some terrible things, um, which is kind of sad that we never figure out exactly, like, what she did. But she did some terrible things that Kurt Russell is like, no, you're not a woman. I'm just going to kind of beat the shit out of you because you're a terrible person for, for whatever reason.
1: I will say I spent most of the film, particularly after they got to the haberdashery. I mean, it's not that I was willfully ignoring her presence, but it's, it's like you said, sort of taking away her femininity i wasn't thinking oh there are seven guys and one woman in this play so just like oh there's eight characters here what are they going to yeah. do next yeah
0: i do think and i do think there's a good job of like moving i do think they do a good job of establishing it in such a way as to make you feel that way mm-hmm. i did i think obviously it doesn't hit for some people because there wouldn't be a controversy if there wasn't so mm-hmm. like well i think there's
2: a issue with her agency and that i don't think that she does enough stuff to able so much of the stuff around her is like guys doing it for her which is certainly interesting that she's accrued the posse of four guys who are helping her but there is a sense of like what does she do that makes it so interesting and i never really was sold on that even though i think jjl does such a good job in the role i don't think the character has enough of a agency to really feel like okay this is why everybody hates her so much
0: And this is the thing, I think that in the end he means her to be an object. I could have used more terror out of the character at that point. And I don't think that's – I think it's not obviously the actor's fault. It has to do with the fact that she's changed to a corpse. Like there's nothing – and I think that's at the end when she's – like they're all down on the ground and she's terrifying and moving around and chops his hand off and moving to the gun and all that jazz. Like I think she's – I think she just needed to have that moment earlier to like reestablish the fact that like once there was blood on her, like he has her like looking nuts there. And I think that that's that's purposeful because she's like the big she reveals herself as the big villain at the cinch in lieu of having one of the other characters do it because obviously they can't because everyone's bad. So who gives a shit? Um, But the point is, like, in lieu of having that, she becomes the big villain, evolves into the state, but she's not actually terrifying because she's still chained to a corpse for like 90 percent of the fact after the reveal. So I think right. that's my issue is that like she's not a terrifying state. She needed to be like this terrifying actual thing, that like, she's about to kill all these motherfuckers, and like you, and I, I wanted her to have more power in that mm-hmm. situation. And I th- cause I don't I think I think he was going there, and that's why I'm not offended by the character. But I understand people no. saying like she, you're right. She doesn't have agency. She doesn't have any agency after that point until like the last five seconds of that film before she gets hanged. Right
2: so i it? yeah yeah <laughs> a podcast moment agree <laughs> i love you guys so much so what do you guys think of the uh Nero in your in- 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 Morricon score Ooh. this is his first western score in 30 years so it was a big big deal for everybody
0: i i think it's i think that opening is absolutely interesting.
2: it's it interesting because so been. much of it is uh from The Thing, apparently, which obviously makes sense. It's like B-sides from The Thing, score that he never got to use. And it makes sense because, you know, it has that sort of cold, icy feel of The Thing that's so well. You, Funny enough, The Thing was
4: nominated for worst score because the Razzies are dumb. You know, what, yeah. what was interesting <laughs> is, um, you know, you have the overture there at the beginning, right, where it's just, you know, at least in the 70mm 70, the 70 version, where they just put up on the screen, overture, and, you know, they do like a full, like, 10-minute, you know, score. And it, it for, for me, it kind of took me aback because I hadn't seen anything like that anytime, any time in recent memory. Um, but it made it kind of watchable, even for a modern audience, because the score was so good. Like, you were just sitting there and listening to the score, and, you know, it was doing quite a bit of stuff and kind of setting the mood for, for how the movie would go. Um, and then I thought it was strung together beautifully. And then, you know, even like the the songs, like the Apple Blossom song is there, you know, is the... Is the uh, the wagons kind of escaping the blizzard. Like, you know, it it changed it up enough to make it entertaining, but it also did a really good job of kind of setting the mood for the film.
2: Yeah, that Apple Blossom song was weird, maybe just because I've heard it a million times I went through a huge white stripes phase like any white guy when he's 17. And uh, that was very odd. And it it didn't really work for me as well. Maybe I just wanted full score because it was just going for that old school style. I think. And then he was doing that Tarantino thing of mixing in modern stuff which worked i thought better than django like the rap no people hated the rap songs of django but i thought those worked better than just the few one or two pop songs in the hateful eight hmm.
0: i think to some extent like with uh, see i loved in the past like his use of music to some extent but I think with a Western, like, it just gets weirder. <laughs> I think this is true of Django. I think it's true with, like, his pure genre films where he's, like, in the Western genre. Like, it made so much sense in the context of Kill Bill. It makes so much sense in the context of Pulp Fiction and um, Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. and Jackie Brown.
4: And now it just doesn't make as much sense. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like, there, there was no uh, reason I for wouldn't... that song. It just it didn't even make any sense at that, at, that, at that time. Like, it's just it was, like, a random choice. I Like, I still don't see, like, why, why he chose that, like, the White Stripes song. Because, like, I, you know, I, would, I agree that, like, Kill Bill is probably, like, my, you know, the one of the better scored uh, films that I think Tarantino has done. Because uh, it's just, like, every song kind of, like, you know, you, you kind of automatically know what, like, the feel of the scene is going to be. And it kind of, you know, heightens the enjoyment that you get out of the scene. Um, but here it was, like, it was a really strange choice. Especially, like, when you had Memorikane, like, on both ends of it. You know? It was weird. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh man
1: <laughs> I really wish I'd seen the version with um, the overture at the beginning because the virgin version uh, that I that I watched did not have that. And, um, I don't know. I just think that would have been really cool. And uh, with the intermission as well, I mean I, I really like that sort of I mean now we consider it to be an older style with like you know, you sit, you listen to the overture at the beginning, at the end you've got intermission, whatever. I, um, I think that probably would have heightened my enjoyment of the whole film. Honestly, it would have gotten me into the right mindset instead of just going in instantly.
2: Well, so much of this film is seems to be people's reaction to it is based on the marketing or the release strategy because it does give you that idea. And I've heard so many people kind of dismiss it out of hand because it is so small scale seemingly when the entire point of the roadshow is supposed to be big bigness and epicness yeah. and capturing that sort of feeling of Gone with the Wind yeah. or Lawrence of Arabia but it was more toned down and interesting which I think is what was very interesting about it but it's also like if you haven't experienced an actual roadshow and then seeing this you know, recreation of it is it actually going to really capture it and I don't think it really does quite right mostly because of just the, the theaters it got shown in Unfortunately, a lot of the really interesting art house theaters never got a show. It was more in multiplexes so they can make more money. So
0: that's his thing, man. He likes the multiplexes. He likes that bigness. It's feel. You realize that he's not really this indie. But, but I would like have loved to see so it in like a River that. Oaks theater where it's time. like yeah.
2: got the old uh, curtains and the Art Deco yeah. style. Like those theaters didn't get it. It was like
0: Edwards fourteen
4: yeah, it's or whatever. Yeah, the cinema. So To kind of get to Sarah's point, I thought the intermission was awesome. I really, you know, it's kind of funny. I really enjoyed having it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this film was not as good without that intermission, and I swear by that because, like, I watched it once without it, and I just no, I just wasn't having it because at some point that that film seriously out fucking weighs it, It's out fucking stays, it's welcome. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It is too. Fucking long, and I know where the time goes. The time goes in those sweeping shots, at the stagecoach, which I love. I absolutely love it. It's my favorite part of that movie, or those sweeping <laughs> bloody stagecoach shots. But he probably, he probably adds 10 to 15 minutes onto that movie with the stagecoach portion, and then adds like there's a massive amount of dialogue. There's a massive amount of stuff. I know where the time is going, and I don't think it's all bad. It's not. It's not all good stuff. So like I understand like this. This movie must have been miserable to cut. Like I'm sure that I'm. I have no doubt that he was like running like the four-hour mark probably and yeah. thing. I, I don't know if that's true or not but it, oh, and it was cut like on film too like so you know it wasn't done.
2: even just digital transfers it was cut on film as well so, oh wow yeah, i so can't that's imagine. insane it,
0: i cannot yeah. i cannot imagine the process it had to of do
2: 70 millimeter dailies
1: oh <laughs> <yeah. laughs>
3: God. Yeah.
4: Right. Then Jesus you just shudder. <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ! And Jack just threw up in his
4: mouth.
2: <laughs> I, I did too sorry, when I, I read that whole article. It's <laughs> just I cannot, like, oh God! I,
0: I cannot abide. I have to admit. I I know that like like he and Nolan are so pro to this kind of this film experiment and we've got the new Kodak cameras that are coming out that are going to be super 18 so you know young filmmakers can start using film again I'm sorry it makes no sense from a digital production if you've been in the world of digital production and production today you cannot not do digital there's no there reason wise, to cut that's the thing that's he's insane. already lost because young filmmakers are not going to be using are not going to be using anything but digital like just, I think
2: I think you'll still have people doing film for the aesthetic and for the nostalgic quality and the interest and i think there are going to be people who are still going to want to shoot on film but the digital editing is so good like why would you ever cut on film that's an insane deadpool thing was just days. done
0: in premiere pro that blows my mind <laughs> is it really yeah deadpool and hail caesar were both done in premiere pro yeah and like and we're finished on the platform and i'm just like yeah. shit I mean, I'm sure they had like they had like DaVinci Resolve and After Effects and everything else. But I mean, that's the point is like Deadpool's. I mean, Deadpool looks at a little bit. So like, I'm not like it wasn't exactly the best of CG movies. And not to mention they lost apparently 25 million at like the the 11th hour before production started. So they just oh, they'll get it back for the second one. (laughs) Yeah, they will. I think he's gonna. He made so much bloody money. Like they're gonna they're gonna win up and down all day. So. That, that's the thing. But I think at the same time, like, this kind of thing, like, I just can't abide, like, the thing it says. And I know that you you agree that, like, oh, yeah, it's the aesthetic. I'm sorry, Ben. Like, the digital technology to have film-based LUTs and add them into this stuff is going to be good enough that you cannot tell a difference. When oh, I agree with you, but I don't think nowadays, that. It's here now. Like, you, I can make a film and, like, put a stock over the fact, and professional film people – I mean, I'm sure there's – like, you know, there's professional film guys that will always know the difference, but, like, there's no way someone can, you know, on a, on a shot-to-shot basis tell the difference.
2: No, there is, but there is also a sense of uh, digital will always be keep progressing versus scanning technology is also going to be keeping progressing, so there's a sense that we haven't really quite yet matched the resolution. You think about something like Attack of the Clones was filmed in 1080, so, you know, it's kind of <laughs> stuck at 1080 for the rest <laughs> of time. So Holy there, shit. yeah, there is that sense of, of shit, scariness, like, okay. yeah, yeah, about yeah. that, and so. But I do think that people will like to do it, but it'll only be the super the, the Paul Thomas Anderson's <laughs> of the future Poor to get back, to I'm do I'm it.
0: Sorry, I, p- please keep going, because I actually hadn't thought about that. and that's <laughs> saying, that
2: saying someone pointed that out to me, and I blew my mind. I was like, oh my god! You it is me? 1080. Yeah.
0: Like it's, it's like, like the Blu Ray quality is work. the maximum quality of that movie forever you saw it on on screens like that was the maximum quality it was like 4k wasn't oh my god it wasn't (laughs) no yeah
2: yeah um but I,
0: I agree with like the you know four future keepers but I, I do think there'll still be people who want negatives as is like it's such a battle. It's so expensive. it doesn't make sense. Like I agree with you to some extent, but I think maybe be not being able to have restorations isn't a bad thing. Like why do we need to keep restoring Sleeping Beauty from the original film negative like twenty years on? Maybe seeing it in the context of how it was meant to be filmed at the time is like part of history.
2: Well, that's part of restoring it, though, is that if you have a digital transfer, you can no, only part get it of so restoring much, you know I mean? it is so you
0: can make it a 4K version and slap on an extra price tag and sell it to people again. Like, I think there's a difference
2: much. between that versus, like, saying getting the Film prints of Apu trilogy and finally having to be able I mean, to see I, it for the first time. I agree. Time.
0: I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. Like, like, the updated Lawrence of Arabia version for 4K is absolutely fucking amazing. And the fact that they can go back and see that movie in a way that it could never have been seen in the first place is amazing. And I agree with that from a storage standpoint but like at the same time like saying that the cost is effective for the use of film and the struggles of using film it's idiotic like it just not it isn't oh.
1: So, Y'all
2: so now. Everybody knows that uh, Jack agrees with George Lucas, not Quentin. Anyways, so this was a good <laughs> conversation, really and uh, does not, and it was a really good talk. Point. And I really appreciate you guys. Y'all are nerve now, pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, stop.
0: Uh, Sarah we'll stop. is the one that has to that has to get the last word today. So. Are you
1: sure you want me to even do that? I mean, I appreciate the fact that I won the bet, but I oh, hey, just, just fun, I haven't fun. really well, said okay. that much today.
2: But I'm, the, that's why I'm curious because you also said that the violence is not your thing. So I am curious what worked for the film for you, I, and what I didn't.
0: didn't. Wanna, I did, I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm going to push you for it. I want you to. I that's want it. you to give a last word on it, whether or not you think especially for, like, trigger warnings and things in film. I don't mean to push you on it. I think, like, I highly disagree with you. I haven't said anything truly offensive that you can disagree because I'm, you know, biding my time till next week when I... <laughs> <bide my> <laughs> 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 um, I don't know if you can disagree week to week with different topics, but you know, we'll talk about it. Sure. Um, so sh- should, we do, should we do, like, a numerical <laughs> rating? How does this work? <laughs> um, but the point... <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and do a numeric rating. Yeah, Sean's right. We're going to do a numeric rating on The Hateful Eight. Everyone's going to give me your numeric rating right now, and we're going to do it up for the podcast to see where people are. So we're going to go from uh, 0 to 10, and we're just going to do it. I know it seems kind of stupid, and everyone hates doing a rating, but we're just going to do it to kind of give, like, a general sense of what the podcast thinks as a whole. So out of 10, I give it a 7. Trevor. I was going to say 7. I swear I'm not copying you. I don't care. Sarah. Sarah. Is it my turn? It's, <laughs> oh, sorry,
1: what?
2: You no you cut out there for a second.
0: Yeah, oh, you're all good. So we're doing uh we're doing ratings out of ten right, for the right.
2: eight. Um, uh, I'll give it a seven point five. I'll be cheap.
0: <laughs> what what was it, seven point five?
2: Yeah,
4: seven point five.
0: Gotcha. Sean? Uh, I liked
4: it a lot more than you guys did. I'm giving it an eight point two five. Wait. Uh, what? Eight eight point two five. You're cutting out. We're all cutting out here at the end. I missed
0: wow. it. I missed it. What did he say? He said 8.25. He's, 8. oh He's my becoming pitchfork. Oh, God. Work. I hate you fucking asshole. Do you know how much harder Give it a 9.1. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, what is it? Sarah, what is your score?
1: I'm going to give it a 6. Oh,
0: man. Oh, awesome. What's Thank a... you for tying this shit up and giving me a round solid number. I'm probably going to end up <laughs> ruling out these numbers. All right, Fine, now.
2: 7. He's...
0: Don't care, <laughs> You already said
1: it, I don't care This is what calculators are (laughs) for
0: I'm doing it, just don't make me feel bad About my math Maths
1: are hard
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're so hard, I don't do them I just shoot film God damn it
4: So it's a 7.15. <laughs> 7.15. Our that was a journey.
0: So the official movie gang podcast um, number for the Hateful Eight is a 7.15. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to round to seven because you all are a bunch of assholes.
3: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> I decide. I don't give a shit. <laughs> What's on the thing? I think it's 7.15. All right. So with that... <laughs> We're going to go ahead and get to bets for next week. So, again, the person that gets to bet the weeks gets to close out the show and say goodbye to all our lovely viewers, which don't exist yet because I still haven't gotten the shit up on our because the process sucks. Jack, um, can you do the
1: same thing that you did last time and send us um, the link um, to that page that's got the listings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. I'll put it in the chat. Are we Thank betting you. on money again? No, 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 no,
0: we're not. We're actually betting on um, the Oscar predictions oh. this week. Oh. So what are do we? we do? Oh, Look okay. So for best picture, I'm going to go down and I'm going to give you guys a link right now that has all the Oscar predictions. Oh, so, We're all going to do it based upon tiebreaker. So uh, everyone's going to give like that. And anyone that matches up, so we're going to go the best picture and everyone's going to list their best picture preferences. Anyone that matches up will then do a tiebreaker to the second one. Understood? So then it kind of goes like as the as the Oscars, the Oscars are on February 28th, when we get down to the next version, we'll be able to tell where. Weird words. I like will say on, I on have
1: actually haven't seen most of the Oscar nominees, so I don't know. I mean, do you want me to just take a wild guess? Because I don't, can go with your gut. Uh, I think that's
0: okay. Go with your gut. I'm, I'm and remember, it's it's not, I know, I, like, it's it it's not seems, the movie you like;
2: it's the one that you think. Exactly. I one. don't
0: think I. I haven't seen the movie that I'm going to bet for best picture. Like I, I haven't seen really, it, and I think it's going to. This win. is a
2: tough it's one be because good. usually by now you kind of know, but there's like four movies that could yeah. win, which is really crazy. It's actually
0: it's actually a super up in the year. In year. So I'm going to start off with best picture nomination for Ben. What's your what's your pick?
2: Oh boy, this is tough because, like I said, the the producer skill went for Big Short. All yeah. the critics went for Mad Max uh the sag went for spotlight and director's guild went for revenant so it's really really <laughs> tough to pick but i think a... you the narrative first the the narrative that's best is to me is either big short or revenant big short has the political element revenant has the whole look at us we're make amazing art yeah. i don't think it's amazing but it's that kind of thing of like we went to the jungle we went really hard oh, we, and we made later. this thing that made money so I'm going to go with Revenant. I think that narrative is going to win. I don't think In two is going to win director. That's a different thing. But right. uh, I think uh, I think Revenant going to win Best Picture.
0: All right. So I'm going to come up the other side of it real fast. I'm going to say The Big Short. I think it's
3: the most predicted. Seriously, as he said, it's winning, it's winning things.
0: I don't. I don't think it deserves it. I'll say. Yeah. It no. Out. I, I show don't tell,
3: man. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, I love it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong.
0: But... Oh no no, I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I mean it's not a great movie. I just don't think best pic I think best picture of the year it's, I think it's right. on par with the hateful eight.
4: <laughs>
0: you know, yeah, it's good. Great, it's right? John, thanks.
3: <laughs> I heard an interview that said
2: that uh that, that Adam McKay said they were thinking it was gonna be released in two thousand sixteen, but they ended up editing it so quickly that it came out in two thousand fifteen and I was like, That makes sense. It yeah, feels like a, a rough draft does. in a lot of it ways. Feels like it's it very feels- interesting, but it's very rough.
0: It needs, it needs more time, in the sauce is what it needs. It, it definitely needs it. It needed more brain power and more time. and needed to ruminate. I think that's exactly what it was. It just feels very disconnected.
2: But you're right. It is a very politically interesting. I mean, obviously say what you yeah, think is going to win. It's, it's and...
0: charged. It Man, it is set to win because people don't want to give it to The Revenant is what I think. I disagree with you there, Ben. I think people do not want to give this Oscar nomination to The Revenant I lie, yeah. um, because it is so It
2: could be. I, be. Me. <laughs> I mean, and again, the thing that you have to remember about Oscars is sometimes it's the more... Whatever we all kind of agree on, movie yeah. versus the one that some people just love. So I could definitely. And especially see and especially with this that year, movie when people
0: winning. are talking about the Oscars being up their own ass. I don't think we're going to give it to the Revenant.
2: <laughs> it could be, could be, but I'm still thinking the Revenant.
0: I think they want to b- uh, no, no, respect no, the think, idea of movies as big. Ben, you know? this is like the closest year we've had in forever. Like you, absolutely, every single one of these is very valid, which is why I'm okay with saying Sarah you should take a random guess. And now we should shut up and let other people <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, what's your what's your vote? Okay, right, let me go. Okay, go ahead.
1: All right, well, the only two um, Best Picture nominees that I've actually actually seen are Mad Max, Fury Road, and The Martian. Um, so, for my, you know, slightly random guess, I'm going to pick from those two, and I'm going to go with The Martian. Oh. Yeah, I think yeah. it yeah. was really well acted, and I, I think it was a beautiful film. The, you know, the scenery and the cinematography were great, and um, I think it stands a pretty good chance.
4: All right. As does hoping. many
1: many of the other films on this I, list. I was hoping too, you were going to argue
4: for this? Mad Max: Fury Road. I was really excited. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was great. I just don't
0: think it's going to win. Say I was winning. Like, for that yes. <laughs> Sean, no, is
4: that yours. No. Um, God damn no, it. No, uh, mine is uh, mine is Spotlight. Uh, I actually saw it yesterday and thought it was brilliantly done. Um, I thought it was the you know, it, it, as you said, the, it won this, the uh, Screen Actors Guild Award. And I think it's a, a, a far better movie than both The Big Short and The Revenant. Uh, well acted, got a great cast in there. Um, and it's still kind of a, um, you know, an interesting political piece, uh, even though it is kind of looking into the past a little bit. But um, it really, you know, kind of delivers an impactful kind of gut blow at the end um, when you realize the kind of the extent of the uh, the Catholic Church, uh Molestation scandal in the early two thousands, um, so I think I think it's going to be Spotlight. Mm, uh,
0: man, now I
4: I to Spotlight.
2: <laughs> I think, well, I think I'm Spotlight, yeah, spotlight, definitely so has. It's it been the dark, the win. candidate forever, and I think it's got a good shot. Especially like anybody who's a journalist loves that movie. Yeah, variety. every critic I've heard of who's like a journalist I, is like. It nails journalism so well, so if can you have I, a lot of journalists voting, I, they're gonna I, love it. I,
0: I prefer Spotlight to almost any other movie on this film. Like it's one of the ones I see because I haven't seen Big Short. I just think Big Short's gonna win because of the political commentary. Um, right. apparently that's what no. I'm I like
2: Spotlight want. better than Big Short and Revenant. Oh god, good god, yes. Like, even though I voted
0: for it, I'm just like, man, it is far superior, freaking movie. Which just says I have no face. in the <laughs> Right. <laughs> which right. none of us do, so that's good. Uh, I think that's the that thing. It's the general take point. Trevor. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Spotlight actually. All right, so then we have to have a tiebreaker course as well between Trevor and Sean. So what we're going to do is Trevor says Spotlight, and so like the next course is up as Best Director. So the choices are Adam McKay for The Big Short, George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road, Alejandro for The Revenant, and uh, Abrahamson for Room. I don't know. I can't ever say his name. And then McCarthy (laughs) for Spotlight.
4: So I would really love to see George Miller win this one. It would make me so happy. Um, but because true uh, won the Director's Guild Award, I've got to go with true.
0: Alright, so you're going to pick Revenant for Best Director. Oh, hold on. Revenant as a second. And then, no, 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 that's uh, for Sean. And then what do you think, uh, Trevor? You know,
3: uh, I think that's a pretty good bet, but I don't want this to go on forever. So, No, no, uh, no, no,
0: you guys can. You guys can go, because Ness will do yes. Best Actress. Best actor, I mean. So it's it is your thing. If you want to say all the same bets for Sean, at some so, point I'm gonna say you're a big Are we gonna be right here till night. best <laughs> animated short film? I mean, good lord.
3: I do like the animated shorts. Um, they were good, it, yeah. You win that I know. <laughs> What do you think Trevor? Yeah, I, I I I guess I guess I will take an RC. <laughs> <God, no. laughs>
0: you offered you kicking a s oh my god, I have to do so much more writing. um so revenant for both them now we're gonna go on to best actor and trevor you're picking oh
4: come on it's It's uh everyone (laughs) knows who's gonna win best actor
3: (laughs) well i don't know any of the buzz matt
0: damon leonardo dicaprio michael fassbender
3: eddie redman i I don't know any of the buzz i can see how it could be dicaprio again don't shut uh, up sean (laughs) dicaprio without a doubt i'm (laughs) Yeah, if they don't give it to him this year, they're never gonna give one to him. That's for sure. Yeah. I'll pick. I'll pick Matt Damon though. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. Whoa. There
0: Holy we go. Shit. <laughs> All right, let's go, Sean.
4: DiCaprio. It's a, it's a coronation <laughs> this year, I think.
0: <laughs> right.
4: I don't know if Trevor just did that to end it, but whatever.
0: <laughs> like I feel like he did, and he's just like I don't know.
3: <laughs> Jack doesn't make. It's me not worth my time. I <laughs> care. No, I really liked Matt Damon in The Martian. I thought he did an excellent. He did thing. Do I did do really too, job. actually.
1: I thought he was great. I, I, I actually I mean, he did. He as- did.
2: As as much as he yeah, had, it, it it's almost seems like no way Leo won't win this year. I could see it weirdly Eddie going Redman. to Eddie Redman. Yeah. <laughs> I'd actually see it go with Matt Damon I think everybody oh God, was like, absolutely. "Oh, we love Matt Damon." <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I still haven't seen the Danish Girl, but I really want to. Yeah,
3: Eight, uh,
2: I'm sad that Alicia Vikander is basically going to win. For being in Ex Machina and being nominated for Danish Girl. Which is kind of unfortunate. Because <laughs> I've yeah. even heard people like, say that that's why they're voting for I agree. It's just more like a, hey, you had a really great year award with this guy.
0: It's so fucking oh my God. All right. So that takes up the things. I'm just going to read down the list real fast so we got things. So for best picture for the bet this week, we got Ben with The Revenant. Followed up by Sean, who has Spotlight. Followed by The Revenant and DiCaprio. But, who's running up against Trevor, who also has Spotlight and Revenant and Matt Damon? Followed by that, we have uh, Sarah with the Martian for best picture, and then myself with the big short All right, that's the bets. I'm going to lock them in. That's the vault closing, if you couldn't fucking count. Is that Michael Winslow? Um, they're like locked in. <laughs> <laughs> the boats are locked in. I don't care. Um, but moving on. Now we get to things. I'm just going to reveal the represent the uh, the numbers from last week's bet, which was at the time we bet. Um, bah, bah, bah,
1: bah, 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 bah.
0: See exactly. Um, bah, 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 bah.
1: Last month's bet, actually, yeah. not last all-time week. time
0: adjusted for Star Wars. So we said the Star Wars, The Force Awakens, what was the all time number, and what we said last week is that. The all-time adjusted gross inflation at the time we said at the time of the next podcast we would see where it was at the top of the bet was Peter with 1.1 billion dollars for the adjusted gross domestic uh, take for Star Wars The Force Awakens followed closely by me at 960 million followed by Bobby at 940 and then followed by Sarah at 920 million dollars at the end of it was Trevor with 900 million dollars as of today Star Wars The Force Awakens is on the 11th place for the all time domestic gross product between Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and 101 Dalmatians at 914 million. Which means, Sarah, you have won the first Movie Gang podcast bet. Hooray!
3: Congratulations! <laughs> Yay!
0: As your rights, you have earned the right to close out the show. And if anything at this point in this podcast that you disagreed with, you get. 34 seconds right now. I don't know. 34 Whatever, seconds. Whatever, however long you want us to talk for, you know, maybe within a minute to talk about how you disagreed with that individual. And not you can reiter, reiterate the point and then go on to say why you disagree. And no one can correct you at this point. And then after that, you get to close out the podcast and say goodbye. All right?
1: All right. You're up. Okay. Well, um, I didn't really disagree as such with anyone in this podcast. Um, I will freely admit that I don't know very much about filmmaking in terms of what kind of film is used, what they're talking about with aspect ratio, things like that. So I'll just give my take on the film. I thought it was fine. I think I would have actually preferred it as a stage play. Now, there were some shots at the beginning that were really beautiful of the mountains and the carriage and so forth. And that was great. And you can't do that as well on stage. However, the majority of the film in um, The Haberdashery, I think, would have been just as effective, if not more so, by seeing it in person. I, um, I haven't seen very many Quentin Tarantino films. I'm not really a huge fan Violence doesn't bother me as such. I just don't really see the point. But that seems to be a lot of what Quentin Tarantino does. So, like I said, good acting, good cinematography. But I was still kind of bored throughout most of the movie. And um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you for listening to the Movie Gang podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you! Bye. Bye.